Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Everybody doing okay? Feeling good? Had some coffee? Ready to go? Just in case we get a little crazy up here. we praying for Pastor Dave. He's not here. Um, he has a really cool speaking engagement. So I'm here, and I'm excited. And I am excited. I am. And we're doing part three of our Lent series, Truly I Tell You. Hope you've enjoyed the series so far. Uh, a little bit heavy, but so, so important and so powerful, these seven statements from the cross. And so we will be on the third statement. It's going to be found in John 19, 25 through 27. But before we jump uh, into the third statement, I just want to talk about Jesus for a little bit. Is that okay? It's always good to talk about Jesus on Sunday. Okay. Jesus is so good, isn't he? So, so good. No one compares to Jesus. People everywhere agree that Jesus was a good person who did a lot of good things. Even if people don't claim uh, to be Christians, usually we can agree on that Jesus was a good person. But for Christians, for Jesus' followers, Christ means everything. Our lives should be centered around the person of Jesus Christ. It should always be about Jesus. It should never stop being about Jesus. And he's so, so good. So good. And I want to just give us a, a refresher, some stories here that remind us of how good Jesus is and still is. Uh, so maybe you've heard some of these. Maybe not. That's okay, too. But here's some different stories of, of Jesus' life. A man comes up to Jesus, and he has a skin disease. He has leprosy. And he says to Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus quickly replies, I am willing. And he touches the man and heals his skin disease. Uh, disease. The next scene, Jesus was teaching with a crowd, and he saw this little tax collector man up in a tree. And Jesus invites himself to dinner at the man's house which was a big no-no at this time. People hated tax collectors. What is Jesus doing eating with sinners? But they go to Zacchaeus' house. They break bread. And there's this powerful line that Jesus says to Zacchaeus after they've had a meal together. Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. Next scene, uh, Jesus invites the little children to come to him. The disciples are trying to hold them back and rebuking them. But Jesus says, no, no. Let the children come to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And I love that. I was thinking about that when the kids were up here singing, right? The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Next scene, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well. He literally breaks every cultural rule and norm to speak to this woman, but he does, and he loves her, and he, and he, and he sees her as valuable and worthy and he calls her to more, and he speaks incredible grace and truth into her life. And she leaves the well changed that day, telling everyone she knows about this amazing person, Jesus. Should we keep going with some more stories? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. 
Jesus gives sight to the blind man at Bethsaida. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. That's an insane party trick. 5,000 people. Jesus weeps over the death of his friend Lazarus. Remember that shortest verse in your Bible? John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Memorize that when you were a little kid. It's like, I can get that one. Jesus wept. But it's a cool verse. It shows us Jesus' full humanity, fully God, of course, but full humanity, sad over the death of his friend. But that's not the end of the story, right? He calls Lazarus out of the tomb and raises him from the dead. The next scene, Jesus serves the disciples and washes their feet. Remember this one? People are arguing. The disciples are getting into it and being prideful, and Jesus just does what Jesus does, and he serves, and he washes their feet. And not long after that, Jesus turns the other cheek in the Garden of Gethsemane. When they come to arrest him, he's betrayed by Judas, his friend, his disciple. And Peter, of course, pulls out his sword. And I can't blame him, right? We probably can't blame him. Nobody takes away Jesus. Come on now. Cuts off the soldier's ear. And what does Jesus say? My kingdom's not about violence. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And then he heals the soldier's ear. Uh, now, these are just a few of some of the amazing stories of Jesus, right? We could be here for another hour if we were listing all the stories of Jesus Christ. But church, isn't he so good? So good. And do you notice that Jesus is always concerned with himself? I'm kidding. He's always concerned with others, right? Stay with me. He's always concerned with others, always looking out for other people, always. And he takes care and is concerned about his inner circle and his friends, but also those on the margins, those who are broken, those who the culture had written off and run over. Jesus moves towards them and helps them understand that they have the Imago Dei within them. They have the image of God within them, and they realize, because of Jesus, many times their incredible worth to God. Isn't Jesus so good? And, and what I want us to see this morning is that Jesus is concerned about the macro-level things, salvation, conquering, sin and death, which we're going to get to in a moment on the cross, of course. But he's also very much concerned with the practical needs of his followers the intimate things, the small things. Jesus cares about those things. Jesus cares. And so I don't know where you are this morning, church. I don't know how the week's been for you, how the last month's been, maybe the last year. But hear me tell you clearly, Jesus cares. He cares about the things you're going through. He cares about the small things. He wants to meet the needs of his people, spiritual needs, physical needs, relational needs. He cares. He cares. And what we're going to see is at this climactic moment when Jesus is on the cross, uh, atoning for the sins of the world, conquering sin and death, Jesus doesn't stop being concerned with the practical needs of the people around him. All right, before we jump into the third statement, let's do a little context here to, to get us up to that third statement. Let's start in the garden. Jesus is betrayed. We talked about it a little bit already. Jesus is betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's put on trial, and he actually has two different trials, and they're kind of a joke. 
Herod and Pilate. And Pilate can't really find anything wrong with Jesus. Jesus is very quiet during the trials. Um, but there's this really interesting scene, and it's Passover time, and there's this, this holiday, right? And, and there's this interesting scene where Pilate has two men in front of the crowd. And on this holiday, it's, it's custom for the Romans to release a prisoner back to the people. And so it's Jesus, and then it's a man named Barabbas, who's a convicted murderer. So those are the two options for the people uh, to have released. And the people shout for Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. We'll take Barabbas. And Pilate, again, not wanting to do anything with Jesus, says, all right, well, what, what then should we do with Jesus? And the people shout. You might remember this. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And not long before this church, they were shouting Hosanna as he entered into Jerusalem. But things have changed. So Jesus is taken away to be crucified. But first he's flogged, which is like a really brutal Roman whipping, cat of nine tails and just destroying the individual's back. Just a terrible thing. And then he takes the cross up the road to Golgotha, Skull Hill. And, and then he's crucified. He's hung on the cross, nailed to the cross. And, and the cross is a terrible way to die. It's actually, uh, you actually slowly suffocate when you're being crucified. The Assyrians invented this type of killing. The Persians perfected it, and the Romans mass-produced this type of killing. They were crucifying all kinds of different people. And when you were in the air, when you were, obviously you were whipped and all those kind of things, but you were nailed to the cross and you were hung up on the cross, uh, your regular muscles for breathing were paralyzed. Right? Your diaphragm and your intercostals, the muscles between your ribs, they were kind of frozen in a way. So you were constantly in a state of inhaling, constantly inhaling on the cross. And so if you, were, if you wanted to exhale, right, or form words, which we're going to get to, you would have to shift your weight forward on the cross to your toes, and it would just be excruciating, so, so painful, agonizing. And, and that word excruciating actually comes from, from the cross, right? This type of killing was so brutal that we have a word in our dictionary now around it, excruciating pain. Now, church, I know this is a little bit heavy, but I want us to understand the gravity of the moment. Jesus is not just saying a few things on the cross. He's struggling to breathe, and every statement he says is vital and precious. These are costly treasures, and so we must listen to them. We must. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says this, these seven last words from the cross are windows that enable us to look into eternity and see the heart of the Savior and the heart of the gospel. These seven words are windows to see the heart of Jesus. And so what do we see? What do we see? The first, the first statement, Jesus prays to the Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He prays for those who are murdering him. I don't know if you're like me, but I would not be doing that. But it's just like Jesus. It's just like him to forgive people. He's already forgiven them, and then he's asking God the Father to forgive them. He's always about forgiveness and inviting us to be a people of forgiveness. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament for forgiving is the word NASA. Uh, where's my JPL people at? JPL. <laughs> word NASA. 
NASA in the Hebrew Bible means to lift, to carry, and take. And this is really beautiful. Jesus was lifted on the cross in order to carry the sins of the world and to take us to a new life in him. It's beautiful. And the first statement, forgiving the people that are murdering him. The second statement, Pastor Dave talked about last week. It's a little bit different. It, it's, it's, it's these thieves that are being crucified, Jesus being per, uh, crucified between them, and they're arguing amongst themselves. And then one of the thieves has this statement in Luke 23, 42. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just a massive statement of faith. And Jesus replies, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And Pastor Dave talked about the word paradise in the Greek is translated to garden. Uh, and so much imagery going on there, the Garden of Eden, right? This idea of paradise. If, if, and we fast forward to the resurrection. Jesus mistake, or excuse me, Mary mistakes Jesus for being a gardener because there's a garden around the tomb, right? And then, of course, we have the paradise, the new heaven, new earth. So, so much garden imagery going on. It's beautiful. And I want to invite you to check out that, last ser- that sermon last week if you haven't, because it's really, really good. But we're invited to be a paradise people, uh, a people just like the Lord's Prayer, to bring heaven to earth. New creation people right now in the way we live, in the way we speak, in the way we love called to be a paradise people. And then we get to our statement today. John 19, 25 through 27. It's going to be on the screen here for you. The first two statements were in Luke, and now we're in John. Here we go. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Pretty interesting. Jesus, struggling to breathe, dying in agony, looks out among the people and he sees his mother. He sees his mom. The one who gave birth to him in Bethlehem one who raised him and always loved him, the one he would probably run to as a little boy. He sees her and calls out, woman, here is your son. And to John, here is your mother. All right, three things I think we can take away from this text. Three things. Number one, Jesus redefines family. Jesus places his mom in the care of John. Now, this is, this is important here. Sometimes we gloss over this, but it's really interesting because she would probably be, should be placed in the care of a sibling or a family member. But what we see is none of Jesus' siblings are around. And I found this super interesting. I was, I was reading a commentary to prep for this sermon, and, and the scholars pointed out that, that they think Joseph was probably dead at this time. Because otherwise he would have been there, but he's not. So there's no one around for Mary, no family besides Jesus, and he's about to die. And so Jesus sees his mother cares for her, and has John take care of her. And I think this is important. Jesus redefines family. God's family is so much bigger than just blood. The cross of Jesus Christ binds us together with each other. So look around. Seriously, look around real quick. Turn to the person on your right and say, hey, family. And then you're left and say, hey, family. 
Now, some of you guys are actually family, all right? That's cheating. That's cheating. But look around. We're family because of Jesus. We're family. The cross binds us together. And Jesus speaks about this in other places too. Matthew 12, 46 through 50 is a really interesting place where Jesus talks about family. Here it is. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Really interesting little scene. Jesus' mother is outside and his brothers, and he's like, hey, they can wait. All right, you're my family in here too. We are family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20, Paul talks to the church at Ephesus about this same idea. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Because of Jesus, we are family. The body of Christ comes together to form something beautiful, something the world has never seen with all kinds of different gifts and all, sometimes some different preferences and, and different passions, but we come together bringing just what we have to form a family, the body of Christ. Uh, we got some Disney fans in here. What about animated Disney films? It's like animated movies. Yeah, we got a few people. Has anybody ever seen the movie Lilo and Stitch? Lilo and Stitch? It came out in 2002. I was seven at the time, which is prime time watching for these Disney animated movies, right? Um, really weird little movie, all right? It's fun, though. And it's about this Hawaiian family, a mother and her daughter, and they go to adopt a dog, and it's actually an alien. And this alien is on the run from the galactic police, and all this crazy stuff happens, right? But the whole movie is about family. And... Uh, there's this, there's this kind of punchline in the movie that I want to talk about because I think it's really cool. It's, maybe you've heard it if you've seen the movie. It's this. Ohana means family. And family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. And ohana is this, this Hawaiian word that, that means family, but it's a lot bigger than just family, right? Ohana means family, and family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. So in the, in the kind of the beginning of the movie, the mom is, is teaching the daughter about this idea. Ohana means family. No one gets left behind or forgotten. And then uh, Lilo ends up teaching the little alien dog this, Stitch. Ohana means family. No one gets left behind or forgotten. And then kind of the full circle moment at the end is the, is the little alien tells the mom, right? Ohana means family. No one gets left behind or forgotten. Really cool movie. I, uh, your homework for today is go watch that movie. Uh, and if you don't like it, I'm sorry. You know, it might be one of those movies where you watch it years later and you're like, ah, that was not as good as I thought it was, okay? But we'll see how it holds up. But it's beautiful, a, a cool movie. But I want to take out the word ohana and put in church. And I'm talking about not the building, of course, but you and me, the body of Christ, right? We're doing a really cool building project, which I'm excited about. Hope you are too. Um, 
But we're talking about you and me, the people, right? The body of Christ. Church, it means family. And no one gets left behind or forgotten. What do you think about that? You like it? I like it. Do we ever leave people behind? Do we ever forget people? We don't try to, right? Maybe some of, his, some of us in this room have been left behind or, or forgotten. Youth ministry, I've been in youth ministry now for like seven years and four, four here at Montrose, which is crazy. It's flown by. It's, it's, it's been really fun. But youth ministry is this back and forth of beautiful moments and heartbreaking moments, right? This back and forth. And I was thinking about this idea, Ohana means family, no one gets forgotten, nobody gets left behind. And, and I was thinking about my four years I have with the high school students. And sometimes I talk about this and, um, and then hopefully some young adult years as well. But people leave during those four years, right? And, and some people leave because they move out of state. You know, that's okay. Totally understand that. Some people leave because they go to a different church. I understand that. That's, that's not as heartbreaking to me because they're still plugged into a community of faith, right? But what's heartbreaking is when people just leave the church altogether, leave Jesus. And, and it's for different reasons that people leave, right? Apathy towards God or, or, or maybe anger or something happened in the church or maybe just thinking it's all a waste of time. Um, there's different reasons, but, but it always breaks my heart. And I think John and Candace would definitely echo those statements. Always breaks my heart. Because we do our best to not leave people behind, right? But sometimes we, we probably do miss the mark, right? We could do better. But one thing I know is that the students that leave, they're definitely not forgotten. Not from my mind. And I know John and Candace would say the same thing. But church, look around, okay? And you don't actually have to look around this time. <laughs> but look around. Who are we missing? Who should be here but they're not? And I'm not just talking about coming to church on every Sunday, right? I think that's valuable and important. But who should be a part of this family and they're not? The cross of Jesus binds us together. And we should be a people, because of the cross, who constantly invite people into this family. Not just our blood, all kinds of people. Just like Jesus on the cross, he looks over and sees his mom. And he says, John, take care of my mom. I don't care if we're not blood-related. You're my brother. Take care of my mom. Uh, Gino Kurakudo says this, This is the love of God demonstrated on the cross. In taking on our separation, he in love brings us together as a family. Our union with Christ, our being the recipients of his love, teaches us that we are able to see others as family. And we are emboldened to live this out by practically loving one another. All right, Jesus redefines family. Number two, Jesus cares for us. I want you to imagine this cross scene again, but I want you to imagine it from Mary's perspective. She sees Jesus up there, her son struggling to breathe. And then all of a sudden, he sees, she sees Jesus' head move towards her and speak to her and speak to John. Woman, mom, here's your son. Now, from Mary's perspective, imagine what she's going through right now. She is struggling with this. And you know what she's not thinking about? She's not thinking about tomorrow. Who cares about what's going on tomorrow? I'm not worried about breakfast or anything like that. Nothing that's going on 
with tomorrow. But you know who is concerned about tomorrow for Mary? Jesus. He is. He cares about the practical needs of his mom, and he wants those needs to be met. He cares about the little things. Church, isn't Jesus so good? There's a beauty in this we can't miss. Jesus is concerned with our everyday lives, right, as we kind of talked about. Jesus cares about the small things. Does he meet the big macro level needs, the salvation, all those kind of things? Absolutely. Conquer sin and death. But he also cares about the practical needs of his mother the very next day. And he cares about the practical needs of all of us. Every single one of us. A cool story in Mark that connects with this. Jesus sends the disciples out on the water and he stays back to pray on the mountainside. This is Mark 6, 47 through 51. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them. Walking on the lake, he was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then verse 51 Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. Jesus cares. I love the picture of Jesus stepping into the boat. The disciples are just struggling, right, straining with the oars, crazy wind, crazy waves, and and the prince of peace enters the boat, and boom, everything goes still. Everything. How are you doing today, church? doing good yeah does anybody feel like they're straining with the oars a little bit maybe some of us are like man i don't know what's going on but these wind uh, this wind and these waves are crazy right maybe it's small things maybe it's big things straining at the oars i want you to imagine just for a moment that jesus is stepping in the boat right stepping into the boat of your life And when the Prince of Peace enters your life, when the Prince of Peace enters into the boat, the chaos must flee. The wind and the waves calm down. Jesus cares for us. He cares for you. He cares for me. He cares even about the small things. And church, it seems so simple, right? Like, Jesus cares for us. But my prayer is that we really get that deep within our bones, within our soul. Because if we understood that, man, we would live differently day in and day out. Jesus cares for me every single morning when you wake up. I have the Prince of Peace right next to me. I'm ready to take on the day because he cares for me. And he's with me in the boat. Number three, Jesus invites us to care for others. Jesus on the cross, as we talked about, slowly suffocating to death in excruciating pain, gives us seven statements. And I don't want you to miss this. The first three statements, Pastor Dave's talked about, right, the first two, and today's the third, they're all about others, all about other people. Jesus doesn't even say anything about his own predicament until the fourth saying. The first are all about caring for other people. 
With these words, we are called to care for others. We are to be John in this text, right? Jesus tells us, hey, care for my mother. Jesus is telling all of us, hey, care for others. Care for your family. Care for your friends, right? Do what you can. Love people well. Because God uses you and I to be there for people, to care for others. We are his hands and feet. If we know the story of Jesus and understand the cross and come to church, but we don't care for others, we don't serve people, we have missed it. We've missed it. Jesus invites us to care for others. Now, I was thinking about this in my, my third point there. I didn't put the best word in there. Jesus invite. I don't like the word invites. I was, I was thinking about that yesterday, all right? So if you wrote that down, for the three of you that wrote that down, okay? <laughs> I want you to cross out the word invites, all right? And I want you to put demands, because that's more like it. Jesus demands us to care for others. That's what he calls us to do. He doesn't give John an option. He's like, hey, John, would you mind taking care of my mom, you know? Would you, would you mind? He doesn't do that. He says, woman, here's your son, and here's your mother. Right? Just demands it. Charges him to take care of his mother. Uh, I want to invite the band back up. Uh, got a couple minutes here. It's been a fun series, church. I, I, it's, it's a little heavy, right? But so, so important, these powerful seven statements on the cross. And this morning, I just hope you grasp the gravity of this moment, Jesus struggling to breathe, and, and in this climactic, massive moment, he sees his mom, right? And the practical needs. Eric's up here breaking stuff, man. There we go. At this climactic moment, Jesus sees his mom and cares about the practical needs of her. Jesus cares about the little things. Amen, church? So whatever you're going through, he cares about those things. He redefines family. He cares for you and I. He steps into the boat with us. And then out of that amazing care for us, he charges us to be his people who care for all kinds of people, to love well, to serve to forgive, to fight for reconciliation, to be a family and continue to invite people to this family. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity to talk a little bit about this third statement. And God, my prayer for all of us today is that is that we would understand and, and just truly grasp deep within our bones, deep within our soul, how much you care for us. Even the small things, the practical things, you care about them. So whoever needs to hear that this morning, I pray that they would just grasp a hold of it. Would you pierce their heart with goodness and love and help them know that you care? And out of that care, God, would we be a people who care? People would say, oh, man, I've heard a few things about that Montrose Church. They're doing some kind of building project, but they're also just they're crazy in the way they care for others. 
It's beautiful. Can that be us, God? Can we be that church? Empower us to be those people. And thank you for this little story, this little narrative on the cross. When Jesus turns and sees his mom. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this time. Go with us. We love you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.